Thank you for downloading this episode of A History of Central Florida Podcast. This is the podcast where we explore Central Florida's history through the artifacts found in local area museums and historical societies. This series is brought to you by Riches, the regional initiative to collect the history, experiences, and stories of Central Florida and the Orange County Regional History Center. I am Daniel Velasquez, and I will be your host for today's episode titled Recorded Music. Today, we listen to recorded music on a variety of devices. Radios, our cell phones, digital media players, tablets, and of course over the internet. You would be hard-pressed to enter any business, be it a restaurant, bank, or department store, and not hear pre-recorded music. It may seem cliché, but you can hear music everywhere. What you hear in these places are recordings of music performances, a recent phenomenon that has only been with us for the last 120 years. Before the 20th century, music had to be consumed live through a performance, maybe in a theater hall, a saloon, or more likely in the family home. Parents and siblings usually learned to read and play instruments and the entire family would gather in the living room to play the latest and usually the most popular music of the time. Dr. Scott Warfield of the University of Central Florida tells us about the role of the piano to a family. The shift from a more active personal music making to a more passive, receptive uh, music listening culture, I guess, starting again in the 19th century with the idea of the piano as a uh, not inexpensive but still mass-produced and cheaper than it used to be object uh, that might have been found in almost any uh, cultivated home. Uh, It was considered a sign of status and it was typical for most families that owned pianos to have at least one or more family members who could play, uh, not perhaps at concert virtuoso level but still at a capable level and in fact there was an entire industry that existed, uh, the sheet music industry, which provided if you will, the software, to use a modern equivalent, for this sort of thing. And so people could buy songs and could play them at home at their own ability levels. And this is very typical, probably up to about the turn of the 19th, 20th century. Um, And various mechanical devices uh, gradually, and I will say very gradually, seem to push the piano out of the home and replace them with other devices. The other devices that pushed the piano and live music out of the home were music players. Throughout the 20th century, pre-recorded music could be played on different iterations of devices. The first one to be mass-marketed for middle-class homes and families was the Edison Cylinder Gramophone, like the one on display at the Claremont Historic Village. Famed inventor Thomas Edison created the cylinder gramophone that initially used tin and later cardboard tubes, but eventually settled on wax cylinders to record music. It was the first device mass-produced to play recorded sound. Probably the first thing might have been something like the Edison cylinder, which was invented, if I remember correctly, in the 1880s. And in fact, as I remember, Edison invented it not so much for a music reproduction device, 
but as a way of perhaps businessmen recording letters and things of that nature. The technology, however, became quickly uh, fairly useful for musicians. And in fact, John Philip Sousa, the American band conductor, and others were very concerned about the uh, new device perhaps replacing live musicians. They saw that at least they could see into the future better than others that perhaps live music would go the way of whatever when recordings were replacing them. And in fact, they refused initially to record, although eventually the market demands made it too lucrative for them to uh, avoid this. And in fact, by the early 20th century, there were various sorts of reproducing machines available commercially, uh, and one of the more intriguing things about these machines, um, listening back today, almost a century later, we can hear right away the limitations of the technology. There's a rather uh, distant, boxed-in quality, uh, the limitations on the high and the low sounds. and makes them sound, obviously, mechanically uh, reproduced. But at the time, uh, many of these devices were advertised, believe it or not, as uh, better than live sound. And in fact, there are demonstrations that took place where they would go behind a curtain and play the recording device and then have a live performer and the audience supposedly could not tell. Throughout Edison's life, he tried to perfect the sound quality of cylinders, but they had two drawbacks. For one, cylinders could only play less than three minutes of sound. Secondly, Edison relied on small groups of singers and musicians who were anonymous to the mass consumers who purchased recorded music. The Claremont family that owned this gramophone bought into the ground floor of recorded music as leisure entertainment. The love affair with the gramophone would not last long. In 1897, Emil Berliner, a German immigrant and inventor, teamed up with Elridge Johnson, founder of the Victor Talking Machine Company, to create the first record discs. Berliner's discs could record sound and Johnson improved on early models of the phonograph so the device could play at a constant speed to hear the recorded sounds on Berliner's discs. Dr. Warren Warren from Texas A&M University tells us how cylinders and discs changed the way music was consumed. Initially, the, the phonograph recording, this, this amazing technology, that was used for speeches and when people thought about the future, in a future where everyone would have access to recorded sound, people would be able to hear the president's speeches or the, the statements in front of the Supreme Court, things that people had always read about. So that was, that was the beginning thrust, but it wasn't long before people started realizing that, that the phonograph was really made for, for capturing and distributing music. The phonograph made music tangible, and it also made it portable. And so now it was it was easy to be able to hear the best performers from Carnegie Hall and from from Berlin to hear recordings of that music. <laughs> This is a Brunswick phonograph and is on display at the Lake County Historical Museum. It was manufactured by the Brunswick Company, a competitor of the Victor Company. Corporations like Victor and Brunswick not only sold these machines, but also recorded the artists and manufactured the records played by their machines. The discs could record up to seven minutes of sound and could be played on any phonograph. Unlike Edison, 
these phonograph companies hired celebrity singers, orchestras, and musicians, all of whom appealed to a mass audience. This phonograph sat in the home of a Lake County family and would have been a prized possession for home entertainment, like the piano to the previous generation. Eventually, Edison was able to create a superior sound quality for his cylinders, but the phonograph soon surpassed the gramophone in the mass market of music consumers. Dr. Warren explains the social impact of these new devices. Well, in the beginning, music was very hierarchical. It's when, when Mozart performed, he performed, you know, he composed and performed for the Duke. He created things for the, the wealthiest of the most elite class. The average person in Vienna or in, in Germany wouldn't have gotten to hear much, much Mozart from Mozart. Uh, instead, his compositions were the way that he recorded his music. Uh, the pages of the sheets themselves would be copied, and that's how generations of people learned and fell in love with Mozart. When, when the phonograph was introduced, it really led to a beginning of a, of a democratization of music. So now it's not just for the upper crust. And together with this government-backed uh, push to have uh, phonograph players in elementary schools, it, it allowed lots of people who would never have had access to that kind of music, all of a sudden now they, they would be able to listen to Brahms and to comment on it or to try and replicate it themselves. The introduction of the phonograph, it changed hierarchy. So now in order to show that a person had class, it wouldn't be that perhaps they would go to the opera so much, but it would be what kind of records that they had. The Edison cylinder gramophone and phonograph were not designed for public consumption because they could not travel outside the home easily. The jukebox would serve that purpose when it was first developed in the 1920s. Early jukebox companies originally manufactured player pianos and removed the piano, replacing it with a phonograph and numerous records, leaving the coin slot to pay for a song. The one featured in this episode is a Super Rocket Rocola machine and is on display at the Groveland Historical Museum. Dr. Warfield tells us about the jukebox. I guess a step along the way might have been something like the jukebox, which was again a mechanical device that allowed individuals to, uh, usually in a communal setting like a restaurant, and I actually am old enough to remember these, where you would sit at your booth and uh, they usually were the Seaberg brand, as I remember, and you would put in your nickel, and you would flip through the, uh, there would be little sort of pages, and pick A17, and it would play whatever record that was, and of course the whole restaurant might hear it, but again, it was your choice. Gradually, however, um, as I said, we've come to an age where now people sit at their own computers, and they listen to various streaming audio, the jukebox shown in this episode was used by the Groveland Women's Club for free teen dances every Saturday evening in the town's community center. 
Primarily, the records were supplied by the couple who owned the jukebox, but teens were encouraged to bring their own records so that some of the top hits of the time would also be played. Jukeboxes would suffer in popularity due to the advent of new technologies that made recorded music portable, inexpensive, and thus accessible to more and more people. The first handheld tape recorders and transistor radios emerged at the end of the analog era in the 1960s, and when digital devices arose in the 1990s, computers, digital players, and other mobile products put thousands of pre-recorded songs at the fingertips of a mass consumer audience. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of a History of Central Florida podcast. The Edison Cylinder Gramophone is part of the collection at the Claremont Historic Village, 490 West Avenue, Claremont, Florida, 34711. The Brunswick Phonograph can be seen at the Lake County Historical Museum at 317 West Main Street, Tavares, Florida, 32778. Finally, the Rocola Jukebox featured in this episode is at the Groveland Historical Museum in 243 South Lake Avenue, Groveland, Florida, 34736. Make sure to join us for our next episode, Jim Crow Signs.